In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Steve Shoger about five ways that you can get better at design as a developer. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 74. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by Steve Shoger. How's it going, Steve? Good, yourself? Thanks for having me. Not too bad. So I guess um, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, who doesn't uh, follow all the hot tips on Twitter, can you uh, just kind of introduce yourself and kind of explain who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I'm a designer from Kitchener, Waterloo. I'm about a 20 minute drive from where you are. I was actually thinking of driving out to your place this morning <laughs> to do the first like live live recording of it's the show. true <laughs> <laughs> um and um i do a lot of design work in the laravel community um i work with closely with taylor i do a lot of the a lot of his products i do all the laracon sites um and then i also work closely with titan and they're an agency who uh they focus on laravel development uh, out of chicago awesome so I think um, most people who have heard of you probably know you from following you on Twitter, where you share lots of like really tactical um, tips for people to sort of like get better at design, like little things that they can improve, uh, stuff like that. So what I thought would be awesome would be to have you on the show to sort of have a discussion about different ideas uh, that developers can use uh, to get better at design. So uh, we kind of planned out five different topics here. So why don't we just dive into the first one right away? Sounds good. The first thing that uh, we're going to talk about is how to pick fonts for your project. So what are kind of your general you know, thoughts on picking fonts uh, for a new project, especially projects that you know um, developers might be working on? Like, more like application UIs than like marketing sites, I would say. Like if someone's building a side project app or something and they're trying to pick a good font for it, you know, what is your approach? Yeah, I, I would say like try to stick with one font, try to pick one good multi-purpose font. Um, and I think a sans serif is always a, a safe call with that. And when I say multi-purpose, um, I think one that like that has a lot of weights uh, one that looks good at multiple sizes and just is this clean and neutral and can you be used across multiple components? Yeah. So like something that works both like for headings and for body copy and, um, you know, in buttons and stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. So something I find like um, when you're going to like a site like Google fonts or like Typekit or something, like I'm looking at Google fonts right now and if you just like browse every font that's available here, there's like 846 fonts to choose from, yeah. which is like pretty overwhelming. So how would you kind of go about like paring this down and like coming up with like a smaller, you know, selection to choose from? How do you kind of weed out the ones that you are not interested in using? Yeah. Like one of the problems with Google fonts is that like a lot of them were like designed for like, by people who are learning how to make fonts. So there's a lot of crappy fonts on there mm. and there's a few good ones. But with that, like if, if I'm on Google fonts, I would like just on the sidebar on like the filtering, I would like stick to like just the popular fonts that you're immediately going to get given like 10 really good fonts at the top there. And then I would uh, just find ones like I, you can like filter like the, the amount of weights each font has. So I'd stick between like, if it has like between eight and 10 weights, like you want to make sure you have, yeah, you want to make sure you have like, like the regular, the bold, but also have like a light font for like headings, um, and maybe like a medium or semi bold. Yeah. And then you want to have all the italics as well. So that's at least like, you know, eight with the italics as well. For sure. Yeah. I find like, as soon as I go to Google fonts and I'm trying to pick a new font, the first thing I do is go to like, this category sidebar and basically uncheck serif. So we're not finding any serif fonts. Yeah. Uncheck display because like by definition, any display fonts are only really going to look good at like large heading sizes and are going to suck for body copy, you know, disable handwriting. Of course, why the hell would you use a handwriting font in an application UI and then right. monospace? Like it, sometimes you need a monospace font for the odd thing. If you're making like a documentation site or something, but for a, 
a main font on a UI, you won't need that. So yeah, I just leave like the sans serif is the only one that's enabled. So that already brings you down from like 846 fonts to choose from to 235. So now you've cut it down by like 75% almost. Then the next thing I do, like you mentioned, is like by default, Google fonts has the sorting set to trending. And right. uh, I don't even know what trending even means on Google fonts. So I always change it to popular which you might think is like the same as trending, but it actually changes the order a little bit. So for me, like, you know, if you're someone who's like not a super talented designer and you don't necessarily trust like your instincts when it comes to like picking a font, I find it just like, you know, tell me what the most top 10 most popular sans serif fonts are. I trust that like the people who chose those are maybe more informed than me Definitely. or know more about typography design than me. So if you pick, you know, your font out of like, the top 10 most popular fonts on Google fonts. Well then, you know, it's very unlikely that you're picking a, a bad choice. Right. I sometimes pop into trending to just to see if there's anything new coming out anything like that's why yeah. I kind of discover new fonts on Google fonts. Yeah. Um, that's cool. But, but it yeah, d- it does look like some fonts that I don't like actually appear here. Like Oswald is number five, which is a cool font for certain use cases, but I, I don't think it's a good font. Maybe for, for headings. Yeah. Like I would not use that for like, body at all yeah and the and and that comes down to like that criteria you were talking about before right which is like the easiest way to pick fonts for an app is to just limit yourself to one font so you have like less decisions to make and if you look at a font like oswald which is like a cool heading font but it's not going to work for body copy well you can just kind of disqualify it because that would force you to use two fonts and we want to keep things simple so that you don't have to you know, picking one good font is hard enough, right? So picking multiple good fonts is going to be even harder. Uh, but then if you go down to like, they have this checkbox, like you mentioned for number of styles, and it looks like it goes from like two plus styles all the way up to 18 plus. And that includes like weights and italic variations and stuff. So if you bring that down to like eight plus or 10 plus, like if you get that down to 10 or more weights and styles, looking at only sans serif sorting by popular you're down to only 26 fonts on google fonts that meet these criteria and the top ones here are like roboto which is like a great ui font that's like the standard android font open sans which is like another really popular you know right can't really go wrong unoffensive looking sans serif uh lato or lato i don't know how that's actually pronounced but that's like a really nice uh free font too i think like slack uses lato as their primary font don't they or at least they used to yeah yeah they do um yeah and i use a lot of these as like fallback fonts like especially when i'm doing like um like marketing sites i'll use more of like i'll use a service like typekit or something yeah Um, they're they have like similar features on typekit or like fonts.com um where you can like filter out the fonts just like google fonts yeah um and then I might use some, one of these as a fallback. Um, yeah. Another great thing is just using like the system font. Like I see that more and more. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like GitHub uses the system font. And like yeah. by system font, that's like, there's like a system font stack that we'll link to in the show notes. But exactly. it's basically like use the default sans serif on that platform. So like on um, Mac OS, that's uh, San Francisco. Yeah. On Windows, it's like... Segoe UI or whatever. I call it yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> on Android, it's Roboto. Um, and usually, yeah, and all and all the fonts have those fonts have similar characteristics. Like Roboto kind of has similar characteristics characteristics to San Francisco. Yeah, Segoe or yeah. Or, you're not going to get like if you're trying to make like some really pixel perfect design where it's like really critical where each like line break happens and stuff like that, you're probably going to find differences across the platforms when you're switching between system fonts. But for most stuff where you're just building like an application where like the really pixel perfect specific presentation of specific pieces of text isn't important at all, then it works really well. And like, I'm trying to think of like examples of sites that use it. So GitHub is one site that uses um, the system font for everything. Um, yeah, Shopify, Shopify yeah, Shopify's back end. I, I see, I see like when people use it, it, they, they might use like, um, a custom font or, you know, an expensive font for like their marketing stuff. And then on the internal, like the login stuff, they'll, they'll use yeah. system font. And that, that's what I would do personally. Medium too, actually Me- uses. Medium uses it for some. They don't use it for headlines or for like body copy, like for the actual articles, but any of the actual like UI elements on the page, at least last time I checked, yeah, they're changing font. it all the time. I'm just looking at it right now. I'm yeah, actually not I'm seeing looking it too. Anymore. So if you look at like a, an actual button or something, 
It no, looks I don't like system font anymore, to be honest. Uh, well, they were using it, and yeah, Medium is like very picky about typography. So I feel like they change their font like every two weeks. Yeah, it does seem to change pretty often. But anyways, that <laughs> that's becoming more and more common. Like the other really good benefit about using the system font from just a development perspective is um, there's no loading time. So you don't get any of that weird like flicker on the page, like when you're switching from like the fallback font to the actual web font. So everything yep. feels really fast. So um, that's always a good option. Um, I guess like something else that might be interesting to talk about is we talked about like Google fonts, like the most popular fonts here are all good options, like Roboto, OpenSans, Leto, uh, SourceSans, Pro is like a good one. Yeah, I have um, a list on my website. Um, I think like the post is called like 12 Google fonts you can't go wrong with. Um, yeah. And I kind of have them categorized as like, here's some good display fonts and here's some good body fonts and here's just some multi-purpose fonts at the nice. bottom. So um, what are some, what are some like premium fonts that you really like for application UIs that you might find on like Typekit or fonts.com or Heffler fonts or whatever? Yeah. My favorite go-to is I, I go in phases with this one, but I like Proxima a lot. Proxima Nova. Yeah. That's a uh, really on, popular, uh, font yeah, it's, like. it's overused by designers. Um, but it's just such a great UI font. It's super clean. It has a lot of weights. It's 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 sort of neutral. It works mm-hmm. with almost anything. Um, I like. I've recently discovered um, Active. Active um, grotesque. I, yeah. Well, you told me about Active. Um, and yeah, that's a really nice one. It's kind of like a. Uh, it's like really similar to Helvetica in a lot of ways, but has like just enough differences that it doesn't feel like you're looking at like a dated default system font, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really like that too. And that's on, that's on Typekit. One that I've, uh, that I heard about recently that is pretty nice and I think is kind of still in development and they're working on new weights for it, but it's called Interface. It's like an open source font right. specifically for like UIs. Yeah, that one's pretty cool. I like, I use Franklin. I use Franklin on my website, Franklin Gothic. I like okay. Font. Yep. I keep going back to that one a lot. Uh, Whitney. Um, Whitney's a really good font. But yeah, that's on Heffler. That's on Heffler fonts. That's um, what uh, Stripe used to use. Um, what's Stripe using now as their UI font? Um, I forgot what it's called. It's called like Cam- Cambio or Cam- Oh yeah, yeah. It's some weird one I've never heard of that I don't know where they got it from. Another one I like is a uh, Circular. I think. Um, does Airbnb use Circular? Yeah, uh, Circular is a popular one. I think like Airbnb uses it. Um, Spotify uses it. Okay. Um, I see quite a bit. That's not through a service though. That one you have to like pay for, um, and like pay per month for the individual font. It's yeah. super expensive. Like, yeah, a lot of them are really expensive. I think like just like another kind of thing to point out here that I guess is interesting based on kind of where this discussion is already going. That like a really good way to look for for font ideas is to just kind of look at sites that you really like the look of, especially like apps and just go into like the dev tools and just like try and find out like what font they're using. I think there's like a really good Chrome extension too called like, I don't know. I have something for, for finding fonts where you just click it and then you can like hover your mouse. It's called what font. That's the one that I'm using. Right. Right. Yeah. I usually just do the inspect, but yeah, that's how I discover all the fonts I use. I also I use this, I go to a site called fontsinuse.com. If you want to like combine fonts, if you if you do kind of want to go down that path, um, it's a great site for just applications where where fonts are being used, and you can kind of see it might be like they might combine like one or two fonts. But yeah, yeah. cool. So I guess the next thing we want to talk about then is just like how do you pick colors for an app? So I think like as someone who's not like a great designer, doesn't have great design skills. Um, Trying to like pick a color scheme for a site is always like a super challenging thing. You know, you have like your color picker in whatever design tool you're using or even like the dev tools where it seems like there's like an infinite number of possible colors. You know, how do you pick like the perfect green? Like, oh, if I move it two pixels this way in the color picker, is that better? I don't know. Um, so it can be like really hard to to like pick good color schemes. So um, what kind of tips do you have around color for people who are, uh, don't have that innate kind of talent for just like picking out really great looking colors? Yeah. Like, like fonts, I would, um, like you could steal color from other sites. Like that's the way I kind of like take a lot of, uh, inspiration is I'll like take maybe some colors from one site and then fonts from another site and it kind of becomes its own thing. Yeah. Another great thing is, uh, you can go on dribble. Yep. And they have like instead of using like a a really like 
a, a color picker with like the whole spectrum of colors. Um, they have a color kind of picking tool where you can like view dribble shots based on their colors. And when you, when you go to that page, they have like a color picker of like, I don't know, it looks like maybe a hundred colors there. You can just pick one and then you can kind of just see shots that use that color. But then within those shots, there's other colors. You can kind of combine colors yeah. by doing that. Yeah. That's definitely an awesome way to do it. Like you're right. You get this grid with like, I don't know how many colors are here. You're right. It does seem to be like maybe a hundred, maybe a little bit more, but yeah. it's kind of split up nicely so that um, every color kind of looks like distinctively different from each other. So like if you wanted to pick like, if you thought maybe like, oh, I want my site to be teal, but I don't know how to pick like a nice teal. Well, looking at like Dribble's color picker, it's going to be pretty obvious to you like which square to pick because there's probably only like two teals that even look remotely close to what you have in your head as being like right. the right color. So if you pick one of those, um, you can just search Dribble for all the shots that are like similar to that color. And it's not going to find like that exact teal. It's going to like use no, like No, it kind of gives like different variations of that yeah team, like but. some sort of range so it's nice because you can just like scroll through dribble find a shot that you think like looks nice and then you can just kind of grab like your eyedropper tool and steal that color and like you're you're off to the races so that's definitely a really good way to go about like um picking a color without kind of dealing with that like analysis yeah, paralysis and then, and then it organizes it and then it organizes by like you can organize it by like popular so you can just see like the best looking shots with that color for sure yeah so what i guess like um Similar to uh, fonts, you know, where you recommend just like starting with one font for a site, how many colors do you recommend someone, you know, use for their color scheme or when they go about trying to pick colors for their site? Yeah, like fonts, I would use like two colors max. Like yeah. sometimes I get carried away, but like personally, like sometimes you could like I work with just one color, like I might work with a blue and work with like different variants of that blue. Like I'll, I'll, I'll kind of have like a, a grayish blue, um, and like a really soft blue for like backgrounds. And, um, and then I might introduce like a second color for like, maybe like, like a high contrast color to, for like primary actions. Um, just things you want to call out on the page. Yeah. Um, I mean, the more colors you introduce, the harder it gets. Yeah. I guess like something that's interesting to me there is something that I see like a lot of people recommend that I don't know if has ever actually worked for me is to like go to some of these sites that'll like generate color palettes for you, you know, where they show you like complementary colors and stuff and it'll give you a palette of like six colors to like use on your site. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that seems like it kind of goes against that advice of like trying to use like as few colors as possible. I don't know. What are your thoughts on like that sort of approach? Yeah, I find those like color picking sites. They're not helpful at all. Um, what, what's cooler is like was the popular one. I'm not sure if it still is popular, but it gives you like five different colors to work with. But like when you think about when you're designing a UI, like it's like you're only trying to like call out a few things and have like kind of like a background base color, right? Yeah. Um, like where would you introduce like a third or fourth color there? You maybe like I mean, obviously you need like things for like alerts like you'll need like a red and you'll need like a green but i wouldn't really consider that part of like your brand color scheme your your palette like it's just more of like a mandatory thing you just include to indicate high severity or success yeah sure and obviously you're still going to want to pick like a a green that like seems to fit well with your yeah for sure the rest of your site but yeah i think um i think if you go and like start paying attention to application uis uh, you'll start to notice that like most sites aren't using as much color as you think. Right. Well, even if you go to like Facebook, for example, like the entire site is blue. Like even like the text on the site is like, has just a little hue of blue in it, even though like it looks black. Yeah. Or, like, it looks really dark. It's actually like all every blue on the site is a variant of like the brand blue or yeah. like, within a few like degrees. Yeah, It's not like they have like, yellow buttons anywhere or anything like that it really is just like it's blue and that's it i think yeah like, even like the background gray is like blue yeah it's got like a little hint of blue in it i think um something kind of related to that that i think is like good for people to understand is um when you look at a site like facebook or uh, facebook is a great example because like you're saying like every single thing on here has like a little tint of blue to it um 
all of those blues are like related, right? And if, if you're right. used to just like RGB or like hex color codes and you were to like look at like say Facebook's header color and then like Facebook's background color, you wouldn't really like be able to see anything that they have in common, right? Because they're just like two arbitrary like hex values or whatever. Right. Um, but if you look at the colors as um, HSL, which is a hue, saturation, lightness format, which you can get to in like the Chrome DevTools by just like going to a color and looking at like the color square and then holding shift and clicking it, that'll switch through like the different color kind of ways of representing color. But if you look at HSL, um, the hue kind of like represents like where on the rainbow, like the color is. Um, and all the blues on Facebook's site are going to be like very, very close in terms of hue. So I'm looking at like their header right now. And if I found the right element, it's very hard to find the right thing because of how many elements there are and the way they name right. the classes on here. Right. But it looks like it's like a 218 degrees is like their hue. Yeah, they were, I, I, I think I checked the one time and they have like it's within like 218 or 220 or something like that there's like they vary like but i feel like that was an accident yeah almost <laughs> yeah you never know right but like looking at their header was 218 and and that's like their really dark kind of primary blue and then the background which like to the naive eye just looks like gray is actually 216 is the hue and it just has like less saturation which means it has like less kind of color injected into it so like saturation is just like a representation of you know where this color is between like completely grayscale and then like completely vibrant colors mm -hmm. and then it just has you know the lightness controls like how close it is to black or or to white um but yeah like all the blues on this site are all like very similar between maybe they're probably between like 210 and 225 hue so it's not like necessarily you're just like trying to pick like totally different blues for everything there's sort of like a mathematical or like scientific a relationship yeah. between them yeah the, and they give like each color a role like you, with you look at if you look at the typography like all of the i feel like they have like maybe for the type they have maybe three or four different variants of it like yeah. one for the body copy one for like kind of secondary meta data and then they'll might have one for like i'm just looking around here they might have like a darker one for like titles and stuff yeah yeah, something that's kind of interesting to play with is um, if you look at some of these sites that are, have like a blue sort of branding color, I mean, I would say like a lot of sites kind of do this in general as they inject a little bit of blue into their grays to make them like a little bit cooler looking, like cooler yeah. in the sense of like the temperature. But if you go to a site like Facebook and you like take everything that looks like it's gray and then you actually make it gray by like removing the saturation, you'll notice that like things start to look like almost like brown. Yeah, that's a kind of a tip I do quite a bit like if i'm working with cool colors like like blue green um or purple i would add a little hint of blue yeah to to all my sites and then uh, uh, on the end other end of the spectrum if i'm working with like more warm colors i'll add a little bit of like tinge of yellow yeah to, like my grays to make it feel warmer yeah i think another idea too like related to color that has helped me at least is uh it's easy to like kind of get stuck looking for colors as like the first step and like trying to come up with a design. Um, is that how you work or do you like defer color choices till later? Um, well, starting in like, I always kind of build out my skeleton in grayscale okay. just to get a sense of the hierarchy. Um, like, so I'll make like, I'll use like really a, like a dark gray for like primary actions just to make sure you like when you look at it in, in gray you can kind of get a sense of how, how everything's gonna look yeah and then i might have like colors picked out in my head of what i'm gonna what i'm gonna do but i have to kind of play with that like i never nothing ever like works out like you have it in your head like you always yeah. have to like build it out as quick as possible and then i think the idea of like working grayscale though is really uh it's a really good way to kind of like force yourself to work on what's like more important not kind of get stuck in the weeds like looking for colors especially if like that's something that you're not good at you know what i mean yeah um, it's a lot easier to like build something in grayscale and then kind of like have the general layout and structure put together and then now you can kind of like see oh well this element would be cool to have like some color here and now that you kind of like know the purpose of it hopefully it'll make it a little bit easier to kind of like choose um colors that are going to work for like kind of what you've put together instead of just trying to pick like you know a palette of colors that looks like a, a strip you'd pick up from home depot of like paint colors or something you know what i mean and then trying to like 
work with that. It just seems like kind of backwards to me. It seems easier to just like design the thing than pick colors based on like what you have instead of like picking a palette that is just like completely abstract and then figuring out like how to apply that to some design that you're haven't even started on. Definitely. Like I'm working on the Laracon 2018 set right now and I'm doing an illustration. I'm actually doing the illustration in grayscale as well, just to kind of figure out the depth and then I'm going to apply color to it later. Yeah. Cool. So the next topic, which is something that uh, I think is super powerful for people who are trying to learn design and really, really made a big difference for me is um, to find designs that like you really like, or you think are really nice, like maybe like something that Stripe has done, uh, that sort of thing. And then spend time trying to recreate that interface like from scratch um, just kind of like putting it side by side with, you know, wherever you do your design work and just trying to recreate it from scratch um, without looking at like the dev tools or anything like that. Um, is that something that like you've ever done? Yeah. When I first started out, I would um, kind of remake websites on, well, at fo- I would use Photoshop at the time. Now I use Sketch. And I would just kind of get familiar with some of the elements like and how they're done. Like I might like copy like a drop shadow or like a gradient. Cause one thing I see like both developers and like new designers do is when they first get familiarized with like with using shadows, they'll, um, they'll exaggerate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, for me, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of like a couple of good examples here, but there's a lot of things like design kind of like principles or ideas, tips that I kind of just like picked up from copying designs that I don't think I ever would have like noticed otherwise. And a lot of them are like things that you've tweeted about, for example. So like, um, with box shadows, uh, you know, adjusting your box shadows so that they're like vertically offset a little bit so that there's like more shadow at the bottom and less shadow at the top. Um, that's like some, that's like a, something that really makes things look a lot more professional. Like you never see like a really good designer make just like a flat, totally non-offset box shadow because it just doesn't look like realistic you know but as like someone who's just trying to apply a box shadow it might not occur to you to even try like offsetting it and seeing what what difference that makes but by trying to recreate like an existing design you know if you're looking at like someone's homepage and there's like some element with a a box shadow and then in your design where you're trying to mimic it you had a box shadow and then you look at them side by side and you can see like, oh, something doesn't look the same between theirs and mine. And by just kind of like looking at the details, you'll eventually notice, oh, theirs is actually shifted down. And that's like a detail you might have like never noticed yeah. that that's what's making it like look good until you're forced to try and like replicate it pixel for pixel. I think like another one is, um, and this is another thing that you've tweeted about, is uh, when you are overlaying like light text on top of like a colored background, a lot of people will just use like gray or white right. for that text uh, but if you have like a green background if you look at a site that's really nicely designed you'll basically never see someone using like a pure desaturated gray text on a green background it's always going to be like a lighter version of that green you know there's going to be like some sort of shared kind of color between the two and that's like another thing that i wouldn't have noticed unless i tried to like recreate existing designs from scratch and notice that oh my text doesn't look like the same color you know even if you use like the eyedropper tool and you grab the color you can see like after you've grabbed the color oh weird like i thought that was gray but like looking at the color picker that's actually green i I never would have noticed that you know i still i still like steal like drop shadows to this day like i'll go on stripes site and kind of look at how they did their drop shadow and they sometimes like they have like multiple drop shadows. They'll have like a gray drop shadow that like kind of bleeds out more. And then they have more of like a, a blue hue to another drop shadow that kind of is more in. Yep. Um, and you don't see it just looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. You don't see it just looking at it, but like, it's just a nice little. Yeah. There's a lot of things like that, man. Like borders is like another thing. Like, um, you know, you've, there's another Steve Sugar classic Twitter tip, <laughs> but um, a lot of people put like tons of borders on their, their card elements and stuff like that. Cause you just kind of like think to yourself, well, like th- I have to define the shape of this element somehow. Right. So I need to put a border on it. But yeah. if you go and like try and rebuild other sites, um, a lot of time you'll notice like, Oh, wait a minute. Like these guys don't have a border here, but I can still see the shape. Like what are they doing differently? Like maybe they have a drop shadow or maybe it's just because they're using like a slightly different background color so like yeah. you can see the shape 
in a different way. So I think like just, you know, recreating existing interfaces like from scratch and uh, just really trying to get them like perfect is a really good way to like pick up on little things that talented designers do that like you never would have noticed as someone who's just like looking at the site and like appreciating it at a, at a surface level. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, kind of like related to that, I guess, like if someone wanted to try and do that, um, what tools would you recommend for someone who maybe has never really messed around with a design tool before and wants to start like building out um, websites you know, but just the design element and doesn't really like want to get bogged down with CSS and HTML when they're just focusing on learning some of the visual design principles. Yeah. Like I would use whatever makes you efficient. So if you are like efficient with, with CSS, you know, give that a try. Um, but I, I always start in sketch. Yeah. Um, so sketch is a, uh, a vector graphics tool just for Mac, right? Right. Yeah. It's only for Mac. Um, uh, another alternative to that, well, going to sketch, like sketch, um, I like, I mean, I used to use Adobe. I used to use like Photoshop for everything. Um, I discovered sketch, uh, pretty much right when it came out. Um, some guy wrote a blog post about it and it was pretty compelling. So I gave it a, I, I adopted it for like a week on like one project and the learning curve is pretty minimal where I was able to like really grasp it within that time. And I pretty much uninstalled adobe for my computer like the week after that because i didn't need it anymore i've actually since tried to go back to adobe since then and um i really struggle with adobe it's it's, it's i'm just so comfortable with sketch now that i i I'm, I'm so much slower on adobe now yeah um another great alternative is um figma figma is their kind of competitive difference is that it's all about like collaborating like i could open a figma file on my computer you can open that same file and we can like work together on the design yeah the thing that's cool about figma too is like it's browser-based right which is what makes like, yeah. that collaborative stuff easy that the biggest benefit to it being browser-based in my opinion is like figma is probably like the only non-shitty design tool i i could think to recommend for someone who's not on mac right um yeah because like sketch would definitely be my go-to otherwise. But if you're on windows, I don't really know what's out there except for like the Adobe suite. Right. And I don't think, um, like illustrator illustrator, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it's really good if you're doing like actual illustrations and like doing like, you know, fancy vector graphic work. But if you're just trying to make like boxes and shapes to make like web mockups, it's probably not as, tailored to that right yeah well even even photoshop isn't really meant for wet it's meant for photo yeah um, and they, they had like fireworks back in the day and i think they i don't they have like they adobe do. xd or something now they, they have like a million products i just bought an ipad pro and they recommend like all these adobe apps and there's like 20 there's like 20 apps on my ipad that <laughs> i'm and then some of them are kind of the same and i'm never going to download them and yeah but um, but sketch is my go-to sketch is like, it's getting pretty powerful too. They, they like just yesterday they introduced, um, like shared libraries. So the great thing about sketch is that, um, you can create all these like shared symbols and you, you can kind of create your own like framework within sketch. Yeah. Um, I'm actually like building out my own right now that I'm kind of building out as I use it. And, um, it's kind of like having your own like CSS framework in sketch. So and just like a bunch of like reusable stuff so it's easy for you to like add buttons to a design that sort of thing exactly exactly so i'm kind of building mine out to kind of align with what what we're doing with tailwind um, yeah and i hope to like launch that maybe not align with like the alpha release of tailwind but um eventually it'll be like kind of the same naming convention so we can yeah there'll be overlap there something i think is interesting about figma that um it's probably just more interesting to people who are developers who listen to this podcast but for me um my like initial hesitation towards it was like web-based sort of really uh, intense interactive tools in my experience have always been just like crappy performance use shit tons of cpu and memory and things crash and it's just like generally problematic because like most of the time it's people trying to do all, all a bunch of stuff on a website that it's just not like built to do right yeah um, but Figma's quick. Like it's Figma's efficient. performance on Figma is really, really good. And I was looking into it to try and like understand like what they do differently. 
And Figma is actually written in C++, not like in JavaScript and HTML. And um, they use like Asm.js, which is like a library for basically porting machine code to JavaScript. So they compile the C++ down to um, assembly and then use the Asm.js to run that as JavaScript. And that's how they get like the crazy performance out of it. So it's written just like a really high performance desktop app and then just like sort of compiled for the browser. There's a really good article on like uh, how they've did that. That's on like their blog that I'll have to have to link in the show notes for any of the nerds who are interested in uh, the stuff behind it. But like the, the main point behind that is, is like, don't kind of like be afraid to use it or like be kind of like hesitant about it because of the fact that it's web-based, it actually feels like really quick, like just as good as a desktop app for the most part. So if you're on, especially if you're like a Linux user where there's like literally no good design tools because no one who uses Linux does design, a uh, Figma is awesome because it's just going to run in the browser. So you kind of get support for it for free. Um, and then it works great on windows too. And it's also even like a really, really good candidate, even on Mac. Like there's some things I actually like about Figma more than I like about sketch, even though I have sketch available to me. So it's definitely yeah. a really good option. Yeah. In the beginning, like sketch is, was pretty buggy. It's gotten better. It's still yeah. a little bit buggy. Um, but I found myself kind of going from sketch to Figma back to sketch, um, for a few things. I think Figma is also free if you're just using it for yourself too, right? If you don't, I, they just, they just introduced pricing. Well, they introduced it like a few months ago and yeah. I so, think it's like, you can have like maybe so many projects free. Yeah. That's what I'm looking pricing. at now. So uh, for teams of up to two people, um, so actually, no, it says Figma is free for individuals. So if you have no teams, then it's just free. If you're working with a team, so if you want to collaborate with people, then there's a free plan where you get up to three projects and 30 days of version history. So it's pretty limited. Um, but then it's 12 bucks a month if you're on like teams where you have like unlimited. Well, actually, it's $12 a month per person in your team. And that gives you unlimited projects, unlimited version history and stuff. But for anyone who just wants to like play with this idea that we're talking about of like trying to take designs and like re-implement them and you're just doing that on your own and you're not like trying to be a professional designer, you can totally just use Figma to do it for free. Um, and I don't think there's any feature limitations. So that that would definitely be like what I would yeah, recommend. It, it pretty much has the same um, UI as Sketch. It has the same kind of layout and structure. So Yeah. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. So let's uh, move on to, we got two more to go. So tip number four, topic number four, is about... Uh, kind of designing the focus of the page that you're working on first. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll kind of let you take that one. Maybe like, what, what are we talking about with that? Yeah. Topic? Like I guess the problem I'm seeing a lot when I go to sites is that they'll kind of design the structure of the page before even like considering what, what the appropriate appropriate solution is. Like I often see like a 1280 width design and then they like struggle to fit, like to fill that 1280 width. Yeah. Yeah. I think like something that's pretty common to do that I've done myself 
um, when you're trying to like build out an app or something is like you start with like the skeleton, right? Like you, you yeah. try and build like the nav and then like the footer or then like the sidebar and like the actual thing that you're supposed to do on that page. Maybe it's like the sign in form or maybe it's, you know, some tool for doing whatever, you know, that gets left till the very end. And you try to like fit that into this like skeleton um, that you've built. And like you're saying, a lot of the time what you end up with is people designing these like full width full screen sort of layouts but then like the actual like action that like is exposed to the user on that page or whatever like just totally doesn't justify like a screen that big and now you find yourself trying to do all sorts of things to try and like fill the page and you have this empty space over here and you start thinking like oh how can i fill that space instead of just like designing exactly what you need and not putting yourself in that situation where you have space that you have to fill yeah, the thing I see is like the top nav, like the main content area where the focus of the page should be. And then you have like the side nav, but you're putting this or not even nav, but just side content area. And you feel like you should be putting stuff in that side content area, just like additional info, but it's really not even necessary. You're just kind of making up stuff to like fill that area. Totally. Yeah. And then another thing with like when you're designing with a large width like that, you're now like uh, compromising on like good typography. Like you want to have like, a nice reading width when you like lay out text and when you have it like when you're putting like text in like a you know a 900 width area it's now becoming like really long lines becoming really hard to read so by like almost like constraining like we used to design at 960 but now as like like screens have gotten bigger like we kind of felt obligated to fill that space yeah with more ui but really like 960 was like the perfect width. Like I designed, I still design a 960. Every time I open up a new sketch file, like I start with 960 and then I might change it depending on how the design's going. Yeah. It's pretty funny that like back in the day, 960 was like your max width because that's like the resolution of the devices that we had. And every app managed to fit in that 960. Right. But now all of a sudden, like, people sort of like t- took it the wrong way. Like they, they looked at like 960 as like, it's not about 960 being the right width. It's just like 960 was like a good container that fit on the screen. So we work in there and people ha- kind of have it in their head. They're like, Oh, we're trying to design to fill the screen. But like, that's the wrong way to think about it. Like if 960 is wide enough, then don't try to build a UI that fits like a 2560, like 5k retina display or whatever. Just stick right. to like the 960. Yeah, it's like okay to have like white space on the sides. Like yeah, it's fine. It looks worse to have it filled up and then like weird white space in the middle. <laughs> yeah, my favorite example of that actually is um, there's a site called doodle.com, which you use for it's like uh, trying to find like times that work for a group of people to do something. Like maybe you're trying mm-hmm. to like pick a night to like go out for wings with your friends or whatever. You can like propose five times and let everyone can just go to the site and check off the right. ones that work for them. And you, so anyways, it's like a pretty simple concept, right? Like there's only like one kind of focused job of the site and they could go and like make the whole thing fit the full screen. But instead they just like design the whole product to fit in like a card that just sits in the middle of the screen and they don't make it any wider than necessary. They don't add any elements to it that aren't needed um, to try and fill up space. Instead, like it's pretty obvious that they've taken this approach where it's like, okay, we need to design a screen where someone can like enter the name of the scheduling, you know, job that they're trying to put together and there's like three fields so i'm looking at like step one of their like wizard here and they ask you for like a title an optional location like an optional note for anyone who wants to read it and like the whole page is just designed around the fact that like we need to capture these three fields that's like all this page has to do so aside from that all that's there is like a doodle logo in the top corner to get you to the home page a drop down to change languages because you know it's a multi-language app and then like a sign up and login link and that's it. There's no like footer with like a site map and like a bunch of copyright information or like a nav with a bunch of extra stuff or like some sidebar with, that they're trying to fill up with content because it looks awkward. Instead, they just literally put like a rectangle in the middle of the screen that's like the exact dimensions needed to fit the content and they just have like a gray kind of background everywhere else. And yeah. it looks great. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen examples where like, there's like the sign in form and it's like literally like an email and password and the big sign in button. Yep. And I've, I've seen like, 
you know, developer design sites that are like the full width and it really just needs to be like a little box in the center of your viewport. Totally. I think that's like a really common pattern actually that you see now is like you go to like a, a login page and it's literally just a little card in the middle of the screen with email, password, login. Like I'm trying to think of ones that I know for sure look like that, like Shippo. Uh, so goshippo.com, they're like an API for finding shipping rates across different providers. They actually have sponsored the podcast before. Um, mm-hmm. That's one that I always remember. They have just like a, a card login page. Uh, Shopify's is the same. I think Heroku is the same. Yeah. Um, super common now. So uh, that was actually like a pattern that was interesting to me when I first noticed it. Because you're right. Like I've made that. You could call it a mistake, but the, you know that decision that a lot of people make where they think of their app as having like a layout where it's like every screen on the app has a header and the footer and like my content goes in the middle. Um, so you'll see a lot of people you know, design a login form where it's got like the main app header at the top, the footer at the bottom, and then like the login form. And like, it feels weird to have this like narrow login form because the header is like wider. So people make the whole thing wide. And now you have a form field yeah. where you could fit 1500 characters, which is way longer than any email yeah. would ever need to like, be. I mean, an, ex- an exception to it would be like, I would do like a full page thing. If like the landing page with all the info on it, also has like a sign up form area like facebook is a good example of that sure yeah but it is a good example of just like designing a page for like the job of that page and not worrying about like like kind of like i guess there's two pieces to it one is like don't like force yourself to fill unnecessary space like don't focus on like the surroundings like get to the the core of it first right um and then the other element i think is like don't feel like every page has to be like exactly the same you know what i mean like if 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 a login page looks totally different from like when you're logged in because like the login page just has two fields and that's it like that's probably it's probably better to approach it as like a standalone page that you're designing obviously you need there to be like consistency and like the design and the branding and stuff but that, that consistency doesn't necessarily have to apply to like you know having the same header same footer and whatever yeah i feel like that consistency can come with the way you use typography and color and and it doesn't need to be just in the UI. And that's what that kind of goes back to like limiting your choices and, and, and having just a few select fonts for each, each page and then giving each one a role. And then you're kind of seeing that throughout the site. For sure. Want to move on to the next topic? Yeah. What are we talking about next? So the last thing that I wanted to, uh, to talk about was I think like a common sort of hurdle that, Uh, people like non-designers run into when they're trying to like design their own stuff it's sort of just in general feeling like they need like art skills or something to like make a design look good like they need to somehow have all these different assets like these like beautiful photos or like custom illustrations or icons or graphics i think like a lot of people in their head sort of like associate design with like having these like sort of custom like more artistic elements and that can be like a a hang up for some people where it's like, well, I can't design stuff because, you know, I can't draw or I can't do, you know, create some illustration and illustrator or whatever. So how am I ever going to make like a really nicely designed site if I can't create these like graphical assets and stuff? Right. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to sort of talk about that topic and uh, whether or not that's actually a problem people should be worried about and um, how people can make stuff look well designed without having you know that sort of skill set yeah i'd say like most examples that i can kind of think of are they're really just boxes and typography on a browser and there's not really much and there's some like icons but i mean you can fill that gap with like there's a bunch of nice free icon sets you can get out there um but i mean a good example is like github like github is like it's not like amazing but it's like it looks professional right like professional exactly yeah yeah Yeah, so i guess like github as an example, it's pretty interesting. Like if we were to look at GitHub right now, I'm just looking at the homepage for like yeah. a repository on GitHub. Um, you're right. Like there's no like artistic stuff here. There's like some icons next to their like navigation, but like icons, that's not like something that's really like a limiting factor for someone who's a non-designer, right? Cause there's tons of right. really good quality free icon sets out there. Like you have Zondicons, which is like a yeah. really good SVG icon set. So there's nothing stopping someone from just pulling that in. It's not like they have to design that themselves. Um, aside from that, like there's nothing on like a GitHub repository page that requires being able to like create art, right? Like there's like a nav at the top, which is just like a solid color, um, with some, 
navigation links in it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a, a header section that's got like a slightly gray background and then like the blue links to the repository at the top with like some buttons uh, with like some stats on the right-hand side. Then like these tabs. And if you look at the tabs, like how are the tabs designed, right? It's just like the active tab has a white background and then like a colored border at the top. And that's like, that's it. Like it, does, it doesn't yeah. take doesn't take artistic talent to put like a two pixel colored border at the top of something um and then the rest of it is just yeah it's just it's just all content right it's just words and some tables and stuff like that so yeah i mean it's kind of interesting i think like another example is like a digital ocean is the same thing like i think they have even like less artistic elements really so i guess um i guess what's probably worth talking about is like what is making these sites uh, look professional and look well designed, even if they don't have those like graphical elements. Like, uh, what are some of the things that people should kind of pay attention to here? Like some of the details that you think are are making these sites like look polished, and what makes them different from like something that doesn't look so great that a non designer might design. Things that they can learn from that they can apply without being a graphic designer. Right. I think the main thing is like uh, there's two things. Well, there's several things, but spacing is probably the biggest one, like using thoughtful spacing, generous spacing between, um, between elements. I, I find that like developers, they make all their designs really dense. Um, and it's not so much like the dense design. That's it's not like a bad thing, but it's almost like what comes with all of that. Like as soon as you have a dense design, you have to introduce like all these borders to create, to, to divide elements on among the page. And that starts to make the design really, really busy. And the other big thing is contrast, um, using like thoughtful contrast with like typography and just with like using it on like different backgrounds to like make other elements, like important information pop out from the back. Yeah. Those are the main things I can think of. And it's also just about like using the appropriate components. Like sometimes I see like developers, they'll have like a table, but maybe the appropriate solution, they can solve the same problem with like, uh, maybe like a card layout or maybe more of like a list layout mm-hmm. or like the other way around. Like you might have like a card layout and maybe the solution would be more appropriate if you used like, um, like a table design. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think you're right. Like, Something that was a big uh, game changer for me, which, I mean, it sounds like so simple, but just learning, like paying attention to when sites are using like darker text versus lighter text versus bolder text versus smaller text versus larger text. Um, Like there's a lot you can do with, with just like sort of designing the text on the page that can like make things look um, a lot more polished, right? Yeah. So like uh, if you look at like GitHub and we're looking at this like repository example page, the navigation links at the top, they're a gray color. They're not like white, right? Like if you were to right. just do like the most naive like implementation where it's like, okay, I got a dark background. So I put white text on it. Um, that would like start to look like it would stand out too much. You know what I mean? Like it would be like kind of competing for your attention. So they use like a side of sort of a softer gray and it goes white on hover, which is nice. Right. But every, everything up there is just gray. There's no like white elements up there sort of grabbing your eye. I actually just looked at it. It's actually using a little bit of blue going back to oh, yeah? Facebook. <laughs> and then if you look at like uh, the tab navigation, like the active tab has like a dark text color, like it's I'm, I'm sure it's not actually black but it's probably what they think of right. as like, like they're black they have a dark they have like a dark font they have kind of like a medium like dark gray yeah so the hex code is like 24292e so it's not pure black um but that's probably as dark as anything ever gets on the site but if yeah. you look at like that compared to like the other tabs the tabs that aren't active they're using like a lighter gray color right right so that's not, and then they get darker on hover as well. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of like makes things like look a little bit more like designed in the sense that there's like some intentional contrast created between things. But all they're doing is like changing the color of their text based on kind of like the the focus of the page or the priority of the page, right? Like, of course, like the active tab title should like be more prominent than the other tab titles. So they kind of like subdue those ones a bit and. And that makes it look like a lot more polished without 
there, no one's taking like a friggin' Wacom tablet and sketching some beautiful thing to make no. this look good. It's just it's just choosing colors. And then they're creating a hierarchy there. Like it's instead of like using like a million different font sizes and different weights, um, you're now creating hierarchy with just using contrast. And you can yeah. use like one or two font sizes in like a little area. Yeah. So I think like something worth mentioning here is um, recently you and I just published the the first case study for a new project um, that we are working on called like refactoring UI, right? Which is uh, case studies kind of showing, taking like user submitted projects. So like someone who's working on a side project who like wants some help with their design can submit something. And then we're working together to go through that. And I'm kind of picking your brain and figuring out like what sort of changes would you make? And then together we kind of work together and figure out how do we distill that down into uh, something that, you know, explain that um, to someone who's a developer like myself and really make it resonate with someone who kind of thinks in that more sort of, you know, programmery way versus like a creative artistic way. Uh, But we published like that first case study on redesigning the Laravel.io forums. And that goes into like lots and lots of detail about like these sorts of design decisions, right? Like, like, like making fonts smaller or you know, reducing the contrast or uh, that sort of thing. So I think that's like a really good thing to check out if um, if that topic is interesting to you and you want like some more really concrete examples of of how to decide how to make these sorts of changes to accomplish like certain goals. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there anything else that you can think of that are good things to know about or good ideas to apply if you're trying to make like a design look polished that's really just boxes and text um i mean there's a lot of like i said like you can rely on a lot of free sources for like iconography and stuff um i also made hero patterns you can use that if you want to add a little bit of um designy elements yeah so what what's hero patterns why don't you just explain it a little bit for people who haven't seen it yeah hero patterns is um a collection of repeatable SVG backgrounds. Basically, you can just click on a pattern you like, um, and um, you can just grab the snippet of the CSS code right there and put array on your site. And um, you know some some of the patterns I made are kind of gimmicky. They're like, oh, but <laughs> there's there's some nice like subtle ones there that would like work nicely. Yeah, I, th- I think like what I love about hero patterns is um, there are some. St- things that are going to be hard to design as someone who doesn't have like intrinsic design talent right like to me like kind of like fancy landing pages is kind of the the best example because landing pages always tend to have like some more kind of custom graphical elements like either like a big fancy photo background or like custom illustrations or um you know custom marketing icons that sort of stuff Uh, but hero patterns is really cool because uh, you can take like, say you have like a big hero section on your page or something and you don't have any art for it or whatever and just putting it on like a plain colored background, you know, ends up looking kind of cheap or amateurish or something. You can grab like just like a really, um, you know, non-fancy kind of subtle pattern uh, from hero patterns. Like there's like this graph paper one, right? Which like can basically work for anything. All it does is just make right. the background look a little bit more interesting. So say you had like a green header you could put this like graph paper svg background on it use like green for the background and then like a very slightly different green for like the lines so it's still basically like just looks like a a a flat color to someone who's not really paying attention but it makes it like look a little bit more like custom or a little bit more uh more interesting without you having to like have any crazy skills or anything like that yeah brick wall one is like another good pattern or yeah i'd say like stick to like the kind of the subtle ones like the non-offensive ones like the more geometric ones yeah or or like i think i have like a skull one in there avoid that one (laughs) (laughs) like it was just fun for me to make it wasn't really meant to be used on anything (laughs) um uh you know a good example of a site that just kind of uses a simple is dave hempill's push silver site like okay. Use a few subtle patterns. Um, it's yeah, pretty well balanced. Yeah. Like it's just non-offensive. It's like it's you know not. Is this a, a hero pattern or is it? That's a hero pattern. Yeah. Nice. I think yeah, I also. So, so for anyone who's trying to visualize this on their car ride 
home from work or whatever. Basically, he's got like some sections on his landing page where he's got most of them have just like a plain white background, but there's a couple sections that have like this like squiggly line background. And all it literally is is white with like a light gray squiggly line on it. And honestly, if you weren't looking for it, you would never even notice it. But if you took it away, the site would look significantly like shittier. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of breaks the, the site up a little bit when you're yeah. scrolling down it. Um, kind of creating more like visual interest as you scroll. Yeah. Another thing that uh, is worth checking out is you have a Heroicons, which is like uh, I'll let you explain what Heroicons is. I don't want to steal your thunder, but yeah, if you if you do want some fancy icons and illustrations for your marketing website, um, I also made Heroicons, and the idea. Let me just open the website so I can read my own content. Heroicons <laughs> <laughs> uh, are a unique set of icons for you to use your marketing website. And they make it easy to customize with CSS um, so you can better align with your brand. So um, there's probably, there's 308 icons in the set. And there's like a large and a small version of each icon. And I tried to like create every, like I spent a lot of time looking at a bunch of different marketing sites to make sure it kind of have like, all the essentials. Yeah. All the essentials for your, like, like how you like position your marketing language. I mean, a lot of them can be kind of like, might be kind of a stretch, but they, they work with almost kind of any kind of messaging you might use on your yeah. marketing website. And they're like perfect for, they're not like icons that you might be thinking of that go next to like a button or something, right? Like small icons. These are like the sorts of icons that you would put on a marketing page where you have like a feature list or something and you want to have like a little icon, like explaining each feature or benefit. Um, and the thing that's like really awesome about it, especially for developers is they're all super easy to customize with CSS. Um, and like the, the possibilities are like kind of crazy because you can, everything has like classes. So like, say you have like, let me look at one of these examples here. So you have like a book icon and the book has like a bookmark in it and it has like, uh, you know, like what's the cover and the pages, the cover and the pages. And it's got like the binding on the side. That's a different color. And the way that the classes are set up is like every single icon, um, Steve has like gone through and like identified like, okay, this is like the primary section. This is the secondary section. This is the tertiary section. So if you wanted to, you could just like style all your icons by applying like these classes saying like Heroicons primary is this color, Heroicons secondary is this, and all of them are automatically going to like look like they fit well together. Um, but you can also like target like individual pieces of each icon. So like you could take like this book icon and give it like a red cover and like a blue bookmark and like white pages and like green um, binding or whatever. And you can do that with every single icon. So you can have icons that are like full color. You can have icons that are like uh, two tone. There's just yeah, like, like so I many made, cool I made a class for them. just to support like just the accent point. Um, yeah. So you can, and I mean, if you're a developer and you're not like super creative, I recommend just using that and just using one color with like, with the white. Um, it looks good. Like it looks clean. Um, and it will work with, um, like if your colors, your brand is blue, I would just use blue as the accent color and that's it. And just put it on your site. But yeah. Cool, man. Well, I think, um, that kind of, we got through all the topics. So, uh, maybe like quick recap. Um, first we talked about picking fonts and kind of the ideas there were to try and stick to as few fonts as possible. Ideally just pick one font. The easiest way to find good fonts is to go on sites like Typekit or Google Fonts. Limit them to just sans serif fonts so that you're not looking at all these weird display or handwriting fonts and stuff. Uh, filter it down to fonts that just have a large amount of weights um, so that you know like they're really kind of like in-depth fonts, not stuff where someone's just made like one weight of something, which is not going to be useful to you. And then sort it by like most popular or trending uh, so that like you don't have to second guess if you're picking a good font, you know, the rest of the world agrees that it's a good font. So, you know, you're picking a good one. So that's a, a good way to go about picking fonts. The second one was picking colors. So a couple tips that we had there, um, do your designs in grayscale first. So you don't get hung up worrying about colors. And then once you kind of have got some stuff in place, uh, don't go to like a fancy color picker and try and choose from an endless num number of possibilities. Uh, try and find like a more curated palette to choose from. And the one that we recommended was Dribbles Color Picker, mm -hmm. uh, where there's only like a couple variations of each sort of color. So it's easy to pick one you like. Look through a bunch of designs that use those colors and then just grab one that you think looks nice. And uh, 
you know, learn about HSL colors so you can start to understand the relationships between the colors in your, your site a little bit better. Uh, the next one was recreating existing interfaces from scratch so that you force yourself to start noticing some of these little details that really make a difference in the the polish of a design that you might not have noticed if you weren't forced to try and, you know, create it uh, pixel for pixel. Uh, the next one is design the focus of the page first. So don't, you know, design navigation and, and footers and sidebars and then try and drop things in after the fact. Just focus on designing the thing that that page is supposed to do. Like if it's a login form, design the login form. Maybe you don't need anything on that page except the two fields and the button. Um, and the example that we gave of a good site that kind of keeps things focused this way is doodle.com. Mm-hmm. And then the last uh, topic was, uh, you know, tips around making your designs look good uh, without being heavily dependent on like graphic design skills and fancy assets and stuff. Um, so the, a lot of tips there were around like paying attention to white space and trying to, you know, make sure your designs don't feel cluttered. Um, and then learning how to, uh, how to design just the typography and the content on the site to look well, you know, to look nice by paying attention to what colors you use, font ways you use. And, uh, the resource that we recommended there was to check out the, uh, the refactoring UI, uh, redesigning Laravel.io case study that we published, uh, the other day that goes into lots of detail about these sorts of tweaks that you can make to, uh, a design that really is just, you know, boxes and text. Yeah. And more to come, more to come with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else that you wanted to uh, get into or any other tips that you wanted to share or anything that, that you wanted to plug before we start wrapping up? Well, if, I mean, if you like some of the tips we've talked about here, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm, I try to tweet out a tip like every week or so. I don't think I've tipped, tweeted out anything for the past two weeks, but I consider the the refactoring UI blog post is like five tips. So. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, besides that, I mean, other other resources that I've made, you can check out Zondicons. I think we talked about it once in, in the episode. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, I think that's about it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for uh, coming on and chatting with me about this stuff. It was a good time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if anyone is interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 74. Uh, thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring this episode of Full Stack Radio. And uh, if you enjoy the show, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, thanks, everyone. See you next time.